0: Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad Podcast. My name is Mike Keenitz, and today I'm interviewing Jordan, who has a master's in nutrition and is also a personal trainer. Today, we are talking about anti-inflammatory foods. So if you have inflammation, here are some foods you can possibly eat to help combat that problem. So without further ado, here's Jordan. What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome back to the program, Jordan. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Today we're going to talk about inflammatory foods and how you can avoid them and what you can eat if you are a inflamed person. Is that a good term to use?
1: (laughs) I think so. Yeah, let's go with it.
0: Okay, so first question is what exactly is inflammation and why is it important to address it through our diet?
1: Um, so first of all, this is a really a uh, heavy topic, we'll just put it that way in the world of nutrition. Um, I could, we could probably honestly make this like a, a 10 part series broken up the different topics. So instead, rather than taking like real deep dives into each question, I want to give um, listeners today, like a, just a really good basic overall um, understanding of inflammation. So just know that it's really deep topic, tons of nutrition research on it. Um, so we're keeping it more in a broad sense today, but, um, so that being said, um, Inflammation is honestly, why is this important? It's linked to pretty much every possible um, chronic disease, illness issue in the body. Um, There's really hardly anything you could probably name um, to me as some sort of health issue or chronic disease where inflammation isn't at the root cause or at least part of the culprit of it. So that's why, honestly, it's I think it's super, super important to talk about and for people to at least have a basic understanding of how we can keep our bodies more in a um, less inflamed um, state. But as I mentioned, it's linked to just about every possible chronic disease and illness. So things like cancer, diabetes, dementia, Alzheimer's, heart disease, Parkinson's, pretty much any autoimmune condition, like arthritis, um, things like that, that you could possibly think of, um, there's some sort of link to inflammation. Um, And then, honestly, one of the biggest, there's a lot of contributors, and we'll touch on this later as we talk more, but one of the biggest contributors to inflammation is the foods that we eat um, or don't eat, for that matter. Um, They're making us inflamed. They're making us sick. So food is ultimately where it all starts on this topic of inflammation. Um, also to kind of tie into here too, I need to mention that inflammation is not all bad. Sometimes we hear that word and we think awful, right? But inflammation is actually a necessary process and defense mechanism in the body. So for example, like if you get injured, um, inflammation is necessary in a normal part of healing. So it's not like we don't want any inflammation going on in our body. That's not good either. But as a general cis, or as a general um issue with most of us we are too inflamed
0: so yeah you don't want systemic inflammation throughout your body if you you know have an ankle turn your ankle and you have an ankle sprain inflammation is necessary to help repair it basically what you're saying Yep. yep yep so what are some common signs or symptoms of chronic inflammation that people should be aware of
1: um, so a couple things, uh, well, not a couple. there's a, little, a whole list of things, but, um, one thing can be low energy or just chronic fatigue, um, which honestly, in just working in the field of health and wellness, that's what probably a top three complaint I hear from people. I'm just tired. I don't have any energy. I hear it over and over again. Um, I'm not saying that for sure that means your body's in a chronic state of inflammation, but it can be a sign. Um, also just any sort of joint pain or joint stiffness. Can be a sign of this. Any sort of um, skin issues, so eczema or just rashes or um, different skin issues can be a sign of inflammation as well. Um, Mouth sores, GI, so gut, stomach type issues, um, just body pain in general, um, insulin resistance, muscle weakness, allergies, even like excessive mucus production too. Not everybody always thinks of that, but Um, that can be a sign of inflammation. Also, it's worth noting that sometimes symptoms can be silent or really, really mild, and we don't even notice them. And this silent inflammation can actually um, lead to a host of diseases and chronic illnesses that we sometimes um, all all of a sudden are diagnosed with and didn't even realize and put together that we were maybe having some of these signs um, beforehand. So you got to be pretty in tune with your body, I would say.
0: Yeah, you listed a lot of symptoms there, but it makes yeah. sense if you have some chronic underlying issue, you're you're probably inflamed to a point. Yes. So, could you provide examples of popular anti-inflammatory foods and explain how they work to reduce inflammation in the body?
1: Yes, yes. Um. So, I'm going to start with probably the most common. Um, I guess if you want to call it food or food substance or derivative, um, that would be omega-3s. I think most people have at least heard of omega-3s or uh, things like that. So omega-3s are found in fatty fish, um, fish oil-like supplements, a little bit in flex, um, not as much, but that's a whole (laughs) whole other side topic. But um, omega-3 fats are probably the most commonly talked about um, food, if you will. Uh, or nutrient, I guess I should call it when it comes to um, just anti-inflammatory foods and that topic of things. So I'm going to take kind of a little little side path on this because I think it's really important to understand. And when I first learned this, it was kind of eye-opening for me And it makes it really easy to stay away from fried foods when you're out to eat. So um, I'll go down this this path a little bit. So um, in the terms of omegas, there's two types. There's omega-3s and omega-6s for the most part. I'm keeping this basic. Um, And again, to keep it simple, I want you to think of omega-3s as anti-inflammatory and omega-6s as pro-inflammatory. Now, it's super important in our body that we have like a good ideal ratio, which I'll talk about here in a second. But again, we get omega-3s from food sources like fatty fish, fish oil, um, things of that nature. We, and we get omega-6s from sources like nuts, seeds, avocados, so really healthy things, right? But the problem is with omega-6s, they're also super, super abundant in processed seed oils like soybean oil, corn oil, canola oil. Now, before you think, well, I don't have those in my pantry. I'm not consuming any of those. If you ever eat out or eat any processed foods, I can promise you, you're getting those processed seed oils. So um just Americans in general, I can speak for, but, um, the issue is we have a really, really high quantity of processed seed oils in our diet because we are eating a lot of processed foods, things that come out of bags, boxes, things of that nature, but we're also eating fast foods. We're eating out, we're eating for convenience. So our ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s is pretty terrible. Um, So in an ideal world, we do actually want a few more omega-6s than omega-3s, about a three-to-one ratio, four-to-one max. Um, But what we're finding through the typical standard American diet, um, it's more like 20-to-one. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah. I mean, most whole foods have a decent ratio that's normal, but it's when you start processing things and having abundance of what substance, the concentration of omega-6 gets a lot higher.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I'm not to say that like nuts and seeds and avocados and that stuff is bad because it has omega-6s in it because it's naturally any whole food. If you're following a whole foods diet, I'm just telling you right now, you're probably going to be pretty good in this arena. The problem is is most people are consuming a lot of processed things on top. Of, even if you're eating some whole foods, if you're also eating out a couple times a week, um, you're probably throwing off your um, ratio of omega-6 to omega-3s, therefore your body is in a pretty pro-inflammatory state. So, um, and then other popular anti-inflammatory foods. Now, I don't, I don't love the whole like top 10 foods, eat these. And, you know, cause that's great. But the problem is if you're just doing that, but then you're doing a bunch of other bad stuff, it's not really that helpful. Um, I will highlight a couple that are more, I guess, well studied in the world of inflammation. Um, but in general, just know that like fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices, pretty much a pretty good, like solid approach to keeping inflammation down. But um more specifically, because I know some people like to just know like what can I focus on, especially if I know I have inflammation. Um, and in terms of fruit, berries are really, really good for that. Um, Ginger turmeric, so using those like in your cooking at home is a good idea. Um, avocados have a lot of um, anti-inflammatory properties to them. Um, green tea and then green tea extract as well. Um, olive oil, uh, leafy greens, bone broth, dark chocolate, to name a, a couple if for people who really want that, you know list of foods.
0: Think we should mention the dark chocolate is really bitter, not the sweet dark chocolates. <laughs>
1: yeah, we should. Yeah, like when you're going to purchase it in the store and like it'll actually tell you the percent of cacao in it. Like I honestly aim myself like 80% or more. like the entire bar might have like six grams of sugar if you ate the whole thing. Like we're talking really bitter, um dark yeah. chocolate.
0: It's the, ca- the It's the cacao that's anti inflammatory, right? Not the yeah. Obviously no, not the sugar. A <laughs>
1: chocolate bar, I'm not going to do it. Even if it says dark chocolate on it or like dove dark chocolate. Sorry. Uh, yeah, there's, I think they can call it dark chocolate cause it's like greater than 50%, but it's, it's sugar. Yeah. I do what it is.
0: So are there any specific diets or eating patterns that are particularly effective in combating inflammation?
1: Um, so With this topic too, I don't love like necessarily labeling a diet. Um, because my my approach is not necessarily like one specific, like I don't like I don't like to label it. I just like to teach people and educate people on whole foods choices. And we're all kind of individualized in what we need anyways. So um if I walked around saying like I'm straight paleo diet for myself and for everybody that I coach, like that's not that's not a great practice because everybody has their own individualized needs. So I like to give that disclaimer. But at the same time, I want I do want to highlight a couple different dietary practices that do tend to fall more in line. Like For somebody who maybe wants to search for recipes online or ideas, it can be really nice to know what some of these diet protocols are called so that you can then do some research and at least searching around recipes, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, So a couple of them would be, first of all, like paleo diet or whole 30. So a paleo diet um, for listeners who aren't um, familiar, I'm sure, you know, Mike, but that's going to be a diet that's focused primarily on quality meat and seafood sources, eggs, nuts, seeds, abundant amount of vegetables um, and fruit as well as quality oils. So that's going to be kind of what the paleo diet is comprised of really the mainstay of that is getting rid of dairy and grains in the diet. And those tend to be more inflammatory in nature for a lot of people. So that's why I'm kind of highlighting that one. Whole30 is another buzzword or diet used, but Whole30 is essentially a paleo diet minus like they don't allow any type of um, added sugar, even natural sugar, like honey. So like in some paleo recipes and cooking, you might find honey or maple syrup. Well, in a Whole30 diet, they get rid of all sugar. So that's like the cleanest of clean options amongst those two. I do like looking, like if I'm looking for new dinner ideas, I'll go to Pinterest or wherever I'm searching and type whole 30 in before some type of food I'm looking for. Like if I'm craving tacos, I don't know, just naming a food, like whole 30 taco recipes. Like I like to use those buzz, buzzwords because then at least, because I generally like to stick, um, stay away from too much as far as like grains and dairy products because it just works better for my body. Um, so I like using those buzzwords to come up with recipes. Um, some other diets that tend to be a little bit more anti-inflammatory in nature, the keto diet when done properly, not like junk food keto diet. I know you have a lot of experience in this area, Mike, so it can be super, super great, but not for somebody who's living off of, um, uh, what are those things called? Kraft singles, <laughs> like highly, highly processed cheese, um, a bunch of milk and tons of meat. And that's all they eat. You know what I mean? Um, so having a really good, solid quality foods, um, keto diet, which essentially keto is no carbs. So fruit and starchy veggies are off the table, but otherwise it's going to look pretty similar to like a paleo diet. I don't know if you have anything to add there. No,
0: I mean, that's pretty much it. It's just whole foods, but what's, with- way less carbs essentially
1: but you can understand how you could easily go into a keto diet and do it really
0: well there's a a bajillion keto snacks out there now so yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah um and then a couple other diets to kind of highlight a mediterranean style diet kent is um, more anti-inflammatory in nature so the focus there is going to be on seafood They're a little bit lower in fat than some of these other diets, so they're going to focus more on lean meats, a lot of olive oil, vegetables, nuts, seeds, um, some whole grains, and legumes is going to be kind of the mainstay of a Mediterranean diet. Um, And then I want to touch on vegetarian and vegan diets too. Um, They can be. When done correctly, they can be very anti-inflammatory. However, you have to be pretty darn careful to make sure that that ratio, like I talked about of omega-3s to omega-6s is in balance. So I personally think anybody can benefit from supplementing with fish oil, but especially um, a vegetarian. I know vegans aren't going to go that route, but it's pretty important that you're thinking about your omega-3 fat sources. Otherwise, you can pretty quickly, um, that diet can become you know, more omega six heavy, if you will.
0: Sure. Yeah, they get um, unbalanced.
1: yeah. Yeah. So I guess those are kind of the main ones. I'm probably missing some because I literally, I think there are probably, I wouldn't even like dare to say a number, but there are like hundreds of different diets, like protocols like that out there. These are just some of the more, I guess, popular ones and ones that I use a lot in my Um, coaching of clientele and things like that.
0: Yeah, I would say, I mean, the commonality between them is you eliminate a lot of processed food or if there is processed food in there, it's the least processed options available.
1: Right. Yeah. A lot of these diets I just talked about, they have a lot more in common than differences, actually. Like a lot of people like to argue about the nuances, but um, like, for example, I know you follow more, I don't know if you still do, but more ketogenic diet. I tend to follow more of a paleo type diet. Uh, we probably eat way more of the same food than than different foods. Like people get all like uh, nitpicky, but it's there. There's so many similarities, just tiny little nuances of difference. But yeah, you're right. The main thing is get rid of the processed junk. That's what any good solid quality diet should be able to agree upon.
0: Yeah. So So next question is, how can people incorporate more anti-inflammatory foods into their meals and snacks?
1: So one method I like that seems a little bit less daunting, um, kind of crowding out foods. So what I mean by that is rather than sitting and focusing on all the negative and what I shouldn't eat, um, can't eat this, blah blah blah. Instead, focusing on what I talked about are some of our, our really good anti-inflammatory foods, and focus on those. Um, sometimes that can be more helpful and powerful than trying to cut things out. It's a mind. It's a mindset shift, is all it is. But thinking of it as crowding out your food, if you have more of the good stuff around, you're just naturally going to eat less of the bad stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. Um a couple other tips um if you when you're grocery shopping this is like a old time tip but it's worth mentioning again trying to stick to more of the perimeter of the grocery store so the produce aisles the meat aisles things like that um and staying clear not that you can't ever go in the center aisles but maybe like the bulk of your grocery shopping keep it to the perimeter rather than in the center aisles where all the junk is Um, obviously there's some good stuff in there like nuts and good oils and some other things like that. But, you know, for the most part, there's not a a ton of good in the center of the grocery store. And then when you are purchasing food, if you're purchasing whole foods, fruits, vegetables, meat, uh, there's, there's no label to read, so all good. But when you're getting anything that comes in a bag, a box, a can... I'm not saying that all of it's garbage because there's actually a lot of food companies out there now because I think people are just becoming more aware. They're really putting some good options that are that are in a package um, because we do need convenience sometimes. But my big thing I like to tell people is instead of we automatically are, I guess, ingrained to look at the nutrition facts. Rather than looking at the nutrition facts, like I don't even hardly ever look at that. You probably do with trying to be more mindful of carbohydrates, but I skip right over that. I go right to the ingredients. If I'm buying something out of a, a box or a bag, and if I don't know, like if those are not individual ingredients as foods I would eat by themselves, I'm not touching it. Like it stays on the shelf. Um, so that's really, really important when you're when you're grocery shopping. If you don't know what the ingredient is put it back. Um, and then the other, the other tip for this too would just be eating at home rather than eating out. Cause then you have more control.
0: I'm guessing I didn't have this question that I sent you, but I'm presuming a good chunk of inflammation has to do with if you're eating in abundance versus like maintenance or cutting calories. Say that again. I'm assuming you're going to be more inflamed if you're constantly overeating than undereating. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So caloric yep. intake has a lot to do with it too.
1: Yes, I didn't actually talk about that a lot, but because um, and the reason probably I I didn't include that as much is because usually when people shift to more of a whole foods diet, the overeating becomes way less of an issue. But no, you're exactly right.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not patting myself on the back there. I was just agreeing
1: with you. <laughs> Worth noting, though, for sure.
0: So there are any specific foods or ingredients that tend to promote inflammation and should be avoided?
1: Oh, all sorts of things we can talk about here. But uh, first one I'll mention is I already touched on it earlier, but just to really drive home the point, uh, processed seed oils, I would probably argue are about the worst culprit in the American diet as far as inflammation goes. So our processed seed oils, um, there's a lot of different ones, but the big ones would be corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil, vegetable oils. Um, They're highly inflammatory in nature. The way they're processed, they use a chemical extraction process, leaving behind chemical residue, Um, all sorts of issues with there. And I will tell you that if you eat out I, w- I can just about guarantee you they're using some kind of processed seed oil. It's cheap. It's inexpensive. It's easy to cook with. Um, for sure, anything fried, that's what you're getting. But even something that might look harmless and healthy on a menu, probably if you pop back to the kitchen, they're they're using one of those oils because they're just, it's easy. It's convenient. They're readily available and it's cheap. So now maybe if you go to a, a little nicer, higher quality restaurant, you might be able to request that they use olive oil or something like that. But most of the time, what they're cooking in, even if you get a salad trying to be healthy, right, I can pretty much guarantee you probably the first ingredient in that salad dressing is soybean oil. So um, yeah, processed seed oil is definitely the enemy enemy when it comes to inflammation. Uh, Sugar, I don't think I even need to talk about that. I don't think sugar is like a debatable topic in nutrition anymore. I don't know. I would hope not, but pretty much everybody can agree that like eating too much sugar is not a good idea. And eating too much sugar is pro-inflammatory. So um, other specific foods that maybe are a little less well-known. So dairy products tend to be inflammatory for a lot of individuals. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should stop consuming dairy. I'm not, I don't want anybody to come come up with that conclusion, but I would say there's probably more people than not that tend to be um, a little bit sensitive to dairy products, especially people that already have gut issues because they're eating some other crap (laughs) for lack of a better word. Um, But the, the big thing with dairy too, is just like sourcing of it and making sure that you're getting good quality sources and not Um, like stay away from the fat-free dairy products, things like that, leave them on the shelf. But as a general rule, like that could be something that someone could play around with. Um, I do find that a lot of people tend to just be a little more sensitive to it as all. And what, uh, wheat and other grains, corn and soy products made are wheat, corn and soy products are all pretty much a fairly inflammatory food for, for most people. Um, And then additives and artificial ingredients. So artificial sugars like aspartame, Splenda, things of that nature, emulsifiers, thickeners, gums, all used in processed food to bind them, hold them together, make them taste good. Those can all, those have all been linked a lot to like leaky gut syndrome, which um, when you have a damaged gut, Basically, it opens the floodgates for the immune system to get mad and creates this vicious cycle of inflammation. So, and more reason to stay away from processed foods. And then the other, I guess it's not food, but other thing to really keep away from if you're trying to stay more anti inflammatory would be alcohol too.
0: Sure. No, I think it's a good list. It's uh, a lot of those things cause problems with my gut. So, I can, (laughs) can relate. I didn't eat well as a child. I was pretty overweight. So I'm pretty sure that set off my uh, gut microbiome at a young age. So So you're
1: still maybe, maybe healing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I eat good, I'm fine. If I eat like bad foods, I get pretty inflamed pretty quick. Like I can tell.
1: Right. And like with the topic of dairy, like somebody who has a very healthy gut microbiome, um, maybe can tolerate dairy products better than somebody who's, damaged, if you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can, like, if it's A2 milk or lactose-free or if it's, like, yogurt or cheese, it's fine. I can't have normal dairy. I never, I don't really have access to raw dairy where I live, but many people say um, they can handle that, too. But, I mean, I'm fine with the choices in dairy that I have. I'm not, don't feel like I'm missing anything.
1: Right. I think the big thing with that is just not overdoing it too is super important. Um, and most, excuse me, most people do. And you're like better choices are what you named. Like, so any kind of fermented dairy products, yogurt, cheese, and staying away from like, just drinking a straight glass of cow's milk or eating ice cream. Like there's better choices in the world of dairy.
0: Yeah. So are there any misconceptions or myths surrounding anti-inflammatory foods that you'd like to address?
1: Uh, one thing I want to address is there's no one particular food out there that is going to be the magic cure-all, right? You can eat all the kale and blueberries in the world, but if you're still eating at McDonald's regularly, your body is still going to be in a state of chronic inflammation. So again, this goes back to like, if you like Google foods for inflammation, you will have, because I did it for the fun of it and prepping for this, you'll get a list of Oh, the top 10, the top 15 foods to fight inflammation. I don't want people to go and look at that. That's great. Like include those, but I don't want you to think that those foods are so mighty and powerful that they're going to combat other things going on. There's no cure-all. Like it comes to an overall big picture. What are you eating day after day, week after week, month after month? So, um, and then the other myth that kind of drives me a little bit crazy in this topic is not all meat is inflammatory. A lot of times that'll make the list of, um, at least amongst our our popular search engines. Um, it's going to, it's going to show up as, as inflammatory food. Now, like a lot of these sources are telling you, um, to avoid all of it because it's all inflammatory, but without making mention or taking into consideration sourcing. So for example, like grass-fed beef that actually has omega-3s in the fatty acid profile, um, so you can't take and just say all meat is bad. You have to look at sourcing of meat. And then, like, you know, if you're just gonna eat a bunch of conventional pepperoni and sausage as your meat source, yeah, that's probably a little bit more pro-inflammatory because what else are they using in the processing. But if you're being mindful of your your sourcing, meat can be a great part of an anti-inflammatory diet.
0: Yeah, a lot of the... no, I probably just
1: upset the vegans didn't I? <laughs>
0: what? Vegetables are fine, too. Right, yeah, right. it's more uh, the processed meat is normally what gets the list. Uh, even like the carcinogen list when they said meat, it was processed meat. And it's stuff that's in the um, to make it have a long shelf life, basically. And right. also a lot of that meat loses a lot of its nutrients compared to raw meat. I mean, obviously you cook it, but there's much more right. nutrients in, you know, a steak versus a piece of beef jerky because it's dehydrated and lacks more vitamins and minerals. Yeah. So can you share some tips or strategies for maintaining a long-term anti-inflammatory diet?
1: Sure. So first of all, um, make more meals at home, like start cooking at home, know what's in your food. As I mentioned, pretty much every restaurant you go to is going to use those processed seed oils. So knowing what's in your food, I think is one of the most powerful things you can do in controlling um, you know, how you cook it. So eat at home. Also plan your meals too. Uh, a lot of times if people are busy and you get home from work and it's five o'clock and you have nothing planned for dinner, that's when you're going to go, go out or skip to convenience. So plan out your meals. Um, if you're going to have some kind of fish or meat for dinner, take it out of the freezer, get it thawed. So you have it there and it's ready. Um, if you go to the grocery store and you stack up on a bunch of fresh fruits and vegetables, best word of advice, come home, clean them, chop them up, have them ready to go. It's much more attractive to reach for, like, I'm even like this. If I, I could have a whole head of broccoli in my drawer in my refrigerator still in the, <laughs> whenever it came in in the store, ugh. Like grabbing that right now. However, if it's in a nice like glass container all clean and cut up into bite-sized pieces, like probably gonna reach for that. So making it easy and attractive for yourself when you open the fridge. Here's my snack, or dinner super easy, then like the broccoli and whatever other vegetable already all chopped up. I'll just throw them on a sheet pan with some avocado oil, season it, and then here we go, kind of thing. So just trying to make things a little bit easier for yourself. As well, preparing I guess is the big big mainstay um, with this question, and then keep the temptations out of your house because we're all we all tend to be a little lazy. Let's let's just be honest. Um, especially in the evening, we might be craving a snack, but if it's not there, you're probably not going to go start up your car and drive to the grocery store. You're going to eat what's there. I think for most people, unless you live across the street from a grocery store. <laughs> but um, just trying to keep the temptations out of the house is going to make this a lot easier to maintain, um, long-term.
0: Sure. So are there any particular nutrients or supplements that are beneficial for reducing inflammation?
1: Sure. Yes. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So I already touched on this one, so I'm not going to beat a good hearse to death, but fish oil, Um, I would probably say out of anything that I'm going to talk about, like pretty, I mean, of course I can't, prescribe anything, but I think pretty much every individual could benefit from some type of um, omega-3 supplementation just because we don't, we don't get a ton in the diet. So that would be something to consider because of the omega-3 fatty acids in it. Um, A lot of else, what I'm going to mention, I like to just tell you kind of where nutrition research is and some different um, supplements and nutrients that can be helpful with um, inflammation, but I don't, Think you need to go out and buy everything that every single thing that I'm about to list to you right now. These are tools and can be helpful, is all. Um, so another one would be um turmeric because of the compound curcumin in it. Um, it's a very it has some very powerful anti inflammatory properties. So when looking at supplementation, uh, a lot of times it's going to be curcumin that you would go for with this one. Um, turmeric would be some people call it turmeric. Turmeric, whatever, however you want to pronounce it, um, can be useful. Like when cooking, like in your own kitchen, that would be a like good ingredient or curry type dishes. Um, let's see what else. Ginger. So there are a couple components in ginger um, that help to reduce inflammation. Um, vitamin D as well is. Um, there's been several studies out there that link low vitamin D levels and inflammation. So. Vitamin D is one of those that's kind of low vitamin D levels are linked to a lot of things, kind of like inflammation is linked to a lot of chronic diseases. Same thing. Um, What else? Um, Probiotics, actually, too. I want to mention those. Um, They're important for gut health and poor gut health is the cause of chronic and acute inflammation. So that can be helpful. Uh, Vitamin C, um, vitamin C, just like vitamin D is an essential vitamin that plays a huge role in inflammation as well as immunity. Um, as an antioxidant it, antioxidant, it can help reduce inflammation in the body. So that's another one to consider. What else? i want to talk about garlic. So obviously garlic can be just used in your cooking, but also for a more powerful punch, you can actually take it as a supplement as well. Um, it's highly, um, or the one compound that's highly anti-inflammatory in it is called allison. Um, so that's, that's a lot, a lot of times why like people with maybe struggling with some sort of, um, chronic or acute inflammation might consider supplementing with that just because you can get that compound in a lot higher quantities. You'd have to I don't even know how many cloves of garlic you'd have to eat a day to, to mimic the effects you can get from like a, a garlic supplement. So, um, what else, what else, what else do I want to talk about? Um, green tea extract. So you can drink green tea or you can also take a green tea extract that just has a higher concentration of its anti-inflammatory compound called EGCG. And I think, I mean, there's probably more, but that's that's a pretty darn good um, hefty list. So again, you don't need to go out and to your nearest health food store and go buy every one of those off the shelf. Um, it all starts with a good diet, but those are good tools, anyways.
0: So are you' telling me coffee's not anti-inflammatory? <laughs> 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 I don't think it's pro-inflammatory either.
1: Yeah, that's one of those that. And until somebody tells me otherwise, there's just there's no research in in one direction or another. I think it's kind of a neutral thing.
0: Yeah, you kept talking about tea, and I'm a coffee drinker, so I
1: just I'm, had to throw I'm a, that in I'm,
0: there.
1: I've been like a wannabe tea drinker forever. Like I I buy tea, and I have like four boxes of tea in my pantry. I'm like, I gotta stop buying tea and just come to the conclusion: I am not a tea drinker. I am a coffee drinker, and just it's just gonna be what it is. But
0: yeah. I only ever have like green tea during winter cause it's cold and I just want something warm to drink later in the day. That's pretty much it. But yeah. Yeah. No, no offense to you tea drinkers. Just saying. No,
1: I, <laughs> I envy the tea drinkers. I wish I could be, it. like, it always sounds nice. Like at, um, even at night, like I get those like herbal, like teas that are supposed to be relaxing. Like, Oh, I'm going to warm up a cup. It's just, just not, or in the morning, like Oh, I should, I should do a green tea this morning instead of my coffee. And then I'm like, <laughs> eh. not much caffeine in that. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so in addition to diet, what other lifestyle factors can contribute to reducing inflammation and promoting overall health?
1: So a couple things here, uh, keeping stress levels low. So stress is very inflammatory in the body. So honestly, it's just about doing things that you enjoy. So in um, practicing stress relieving activities like meditation, um, everybody should meditate. You do, of course. Right, Mike? Every day? No,
0: I um, maybe during like if I'm stretching because I have to stretch for some pain issues right now, it's kind of meditating.
1: It. I think it can be. Meditation is a pretty broad topic and but it's, oh, it's one of those things. Like I want to be a tea drinker and I want to be a meditator. And I've just, I've been striving for that for a long time. Their,
0: their ideologies are not practical always.
1: Correct. But that, that's a great practice. But if that's not for you, some other things that can be stress relieving, this would be more my style, like going for walks in nature, um, doing yoga, stretching. Um, so anything when, if you're, especially, well, Even if you're not a high stress person, we can all benefit on a daily basis from doing something to step away from life a little bit and clearing your mind, even like backing away from your desk, shutting your eyes for 30 seconds and practicing like deep belly breathing Um, because we tend to like all day long, we're chest breathers, like shallow chest breathers. So or if you just feel yourself kind of starting to get a little bit worked up, like Shut your computer screen, shut your eyes, and do some really, really deep belly breathing. It doesn't need to be for very long, but that can be really powerful, like just stress reducing activity. So, overall, doing things and finding ways for stress management, keep stress levels low, because if your stress is way up here, you can eat the greatest diet, but I can tell you, you're still gonna be in a state of chronic inflammation. So, um, the other thing too would be getting adequate sleep each night again, you can do all the right things in the world, but if you're sleeping for four hours every night and you're never letting your body heal, um, you're going to be in a state of chronic inflammation. So making sure for most people, optimal levels are between seven to nine hours of sleep a night. So doing your best to try to, most people laugh at me when I say that too. Like you think I can get seven hours of sleep a night? Like how, how can you not? I don't know. Sleep is so important.
0: Yeah. I get eight. I mean, I understand if people have you know, young children or something. It could be an issue, but I have friends that are, don't have that problem. They're just like to stay up late and play video games. That's their own problem. But
1: I don't, I don't, I don't get that. That's one thing for me. Like I can do seven. I can, I can live off seven and feel pretty good. I like, my body likes eight. Sometimes if I get more than eight, I'm like pretty groggy like eight is my magic number. And then anything less than seven, I'm, I'm dragging. So I don't know how people do it. Like, I will talk to people that, Oh, I got a whole five hours last night. And like, if I got five hours of sleep, I would be dead. I don't know.
0: If I get not enough sleep, I tend to overeat because you're trying to stay awake through calories because you didn't sleep enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then exercise too.
0: Okay. I was going to say, am I, you didn't mention exercise.
1: Oh, yes, yes. So exercise um, and also exercising the appropriate amount for your body. I kind of want to talk about this too because I don't want to like demonize exercise because I'm like pro exercise all day, every day. I love, love movement. Um, but, you know, ultra marathon runners or, like elite, elite athletes, there is such a thing as too much exercise in the world of inflammation. And if we aren't adequately recovering between exercise sessions, because I'm going to be honest with you, like if you go in for a heavy lifting session or a long run, you're going to have a state of inflammation in the body. That's not bad inflammation, but you're going to in that healing process. Um, And if you don't have adequate recovery between workout sessions and you're just going, 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 going constantly too much can also be a bad thing. So finding that good balance for yourself, exercise is super anti-inflammatory. It's great. Please do it. Just don't overdo it.
0: Yeah. I would say if you're new, like three days a week, every other day is fine. If you've been doing stuff for a while, like typically you want to figure out some type of program that does that. Cause I mean, I've done distance running and it's yeah, you're still running miles, but you have one day that's a lot more and then other days that are less, and you have some days that are more intense paces, and then you have other days that are very easy, so that's yes. kind of like a recovery. Um, You never want to go all out, whatever you're doing every day. You want to kind of mimic hard and easy together, I should say.
1: 100%, yeah. So having like a good solid programming would be helpful. We can all benefit from getting off our butts, though, like at a bare minimum, sitting, like I, you can't overdo just walking and moving your body, but I'm talking about like rigorous exercise, just being mindful yeah. um, of that. Especially I want to mention too, like the, the female population out there. Um, cause we just have more fluctuations in hormones. And if you're just constantly overdoing it um, can cause a, a lot of issues there too. So.
0: Yeah. And I would say if someone's really inflamed and say they have bad joints you know you can look for non-impact activities you enjoy it doesn't have to be the things we mentioned right all right is there anything else i forgot i don't think so all right well thank you for joining us today
1: thanks for having me